Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Albright. I am Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous Payments, Z-E-L-I-S. I'm also the Communications Committee Chair for Weedy. That's W-E-D-I, the Workgroup for Electronic Data Interchange, and Weedy produces this podcast. The National Committee on Vital Health Statistics, or NCVHS, is the public advisory board to the Department of Health and Human Services for health data, statistics, national health information policy, and HIPAA administration simplification requirements. That is, the NCVHS advises HHS on the business of doing health care. On this program, we've talked about the future challenges in the business of healthcare, including the increasing use of telehealth and remote healthcare, the need for more robust mental health care, the burden of healthcare administration, and the need for more transparency about prices for healthcare services. In order to manage these many issues facing the industry, a robust electronic infrastructure is necessary. That infrastructure needs to have standard electronic formats and transactions, and the future electronic infrastructure is precisely what the NCVHS advises the government on. In early June 2022, the NCVHS held a meeting to gather industry suggestions about the future of this electronic infrastructure. Our guest today is Ed Hafner, who was at that June NCVHS meeting, and we're excited to talk to him today about what future is being considered by the committee. Ed is chair-elect of Weedy, and Ed's day job is assistant VP of Payer Strategy Medical Network with Change Healthcare. Ed, welcome. And so very glad to have you here on The Collective Voice. Well, thank you, Matthew. It's, uh, thank you for inviting me. It's just great to be here with you. And I always enjoy uh, working with you anyway. So I'm look, really looking forward to this conversation. <laughs> Good. We are too. Uh, you know, I mentioned that the NCVHS's mission is to advise the government on the electronic infrastructure the healthcare industry needs in order to become, say, uh, more digital and less dependent on, say, healthcare, on, on phone calls and, and paper, right? And, and the key elements of an electronic infrastructure are standards. Can you tell us more about what we mean by standards in the context of the NCVHS? Yeah, uh, Matthew, I, I believe a lot of our listeners uh, are very well practiced in the standards, but just overall, we have a set of administrative standards, uh, which are uh, were mandated uh, on the medical and the pharmaceutical side uh, for administrative exchange of claims and remittance advices and eligibility and claim status and enrollment information, premium payments, and all you know, a- anything to do with um, administration is, is what uh, HIPAA X12 is focused on for the medical side. NCPDP is focused in on the pharmaceutical side. Then we have the clinical standards uh, or uh, that come from HL7, and they're different uh, accelerator projects, particularly Da Vinci and Karen. Uh, they're suggesting uh, different sorts of use case uh, cases, for example, like prior authorization um, or clinical exchange. Good, good, very good. So we're talking about like the rails, right? Like if you think about a standard railroad gauge, right? These are the rails, the electronic rails, which communications in between payers and providers and providers and providers that all of which, you know, how those how those committee communications and transactions go back and forth, right? Right, and even even employers, right? Employers will send enrollment information, premium payment information, although they're not covered entities, although a lot of us would like them to be. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. So there's, there's a lot of parties, right? There's a lot of right. entities involved uh, in, in doing the business of healthcare. So, so at this June NCBHS meeting, uh, you talked to the committee about measuring the value of standards or uh, how, a, how a standards value might be measured, right? So as chair elect of Weedy, what is Weedy's opinion on whether a standard or version uh, are ready for prime time? Yeah, Matthew, it's an honor speaking on behalf of Weedy, and I just want to say something about them first before we go too far. Um, you know, it's a collaboration of multiple stakeholder types. It's not just providers. We have uh, health plans. We have vendors included. We have associations representing them. We also have government entities. We're all working together in a collaborative effort to help uh, advise Health and Human Services as a named advisor. We educate each other. We talk about different challenging uh, uh, challenges uh, you know, that are happening in healthcare, and we help uh, try to address and educate each other. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful environment. And uh, for this particular exercise, we did do a survey. Uh, we asked uh, a number of organizations, I believe it was somewhere around 15 or so responses that we uh, came back and we took uh, some of that information and included it in our NCVHS testimony ourselves. But more importantly, uh, as is, we sent all those comments directly over to NCVHS for their consideration as well. So those voices are uniquely heard. So when I'm going to answer your questions today, it will not just be, um, you know, uh, it'll be, uh, I'll be throwing in some of my thoughts along with what we said on behalf of Weedy, but I also want to give people a good feeling that we uh, did pass along their feedback in a very direct way. Um, so let me answer your question, all right? So, uh, you know, Matthew, uh, it's really interesting, in interesting how the different standards and operating rule organizations go about declaring if a standard is ready for prime time. Um, you know, whether it's through uh, connect-a-thons, in some cases there's true application pilots, or sometimes just following syntax rules of that standard, uh, that's when they would declare things ready. Um, Weedy strong, strongly recommends true application-to-application -application pilots for those new uh, use cases uh, from the clinical side, those new uh, transactions on the X12 side, uh, to really exercise the application logic uh, to determine uh, if, the, if the data is truly available to send and it's truly uh, has all the data to actually process that data. Uh, by doing so, you'll be able to uh, really exercise uh, the functionality and, and see if the standard is really up to uh, being uh, very usable for, for many others. Uh, you know, simply testing fire endpoint to fire endpoint or EDI gateway to EDI gateway uh, for new, uh, you know, for new uh, forms of, of uh, transactions or use cases just doesn't truly test, the, test it. Uh, and, you know, we want to make sure it's ready for prime time. Now, version uh, is a little bit different, right? Because the versions may just different, uh, differ just a little bit. So that might be a bit overkill, um, especially if it's not terribly significant, if there's just optional elements or resources uh, that are there. So that's what we gave this for. And you'd say that's Weedy's point of view as well, right? Kind of That's correct. Gotcha, gotcha. Because it seems to me like, you know, you think about a standard, a standard is a tool, but there's a number of processes on both ends that have to go into making that tool, right? So you can't just hand people a tool, you can't just hand them an electric saw, you've got to show them where to turn it on and how to how to approach a piece of wood, right? So it's more about right. processes in some cases. Right. Good. Um, so, um, 
you've spoken of, of lessening the lift for organizations, um, adopting a new version of the standard. Um, I think the, uh, the industry has seen 50-10, ICD-10 uh, in the last 20 years, even 40-10. Um, lots of big lifts, lots of big jumps from a version to version. Um, tell us more. How would you re- recommend supporting more than one version for a health plan in terms of cost? Yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit about my personal experience and feelings and then, of course, evolve into what we said, uh, you know, during that testimony. Um, uh, From my experiencing uh, experience designing software products through many years, um, uh, adding optional elements to an end of a flat file or optional EDI or JSON or XML elements that are not mandatory uh, is a lot less painful. It shouldn't disrupt the processing flow. And, you know, it's an ideal way to evolve new standard versions going forward. Um, personally, uh, on myself, when I'm developing software, um, I try to do that so it makes it easier for my software customers to actually migrate to a new version. Um, now, when it comes to versions, this is what we said at the testimony, uh, you, know, you know, of course, if they're just optional elements, that's perfect. In some cases, a smaller mapping or application changes are required for a new version, so that's not so bad. But worse yet, major mapping or major application challenges, oh my gosh, that's especially challenging to adopt new versions. And, and of course, new transactions themselves, you know, if we're adding a new uh, business function or a new clinical exchange function, you know, that's where it gets a bit harder, right? Um, I'd encourage standards, or actually Weedy encourages standards organizations to consider the sender and receiver development lift and detail those requirements before submitting a standard to move forward for industry adoption. Um, now, regarding multiple version support, that, that's something that I think you'll um, you'll talk a bit about uh, with Nancy uh, going forward in the next podcast. Uh, my my perspective and what what I suggested on my testimony to NCPHS on behalf of Weedy uh, is you know to kind of remind them that fifty ten caused all kinds of anguish. Uh, going from 40 to 10 uh, to 50, 10. Uh, personally, I remember one company and Matthew, I'm going to protect the name of the innocent. I'll tell you afterwards. So. Yeah. <laughs> they came in front of the whole Weedy audience and said, it's going to be a train wreck. Uh, and they said that during a Weedy general session, there must've been 500 people in the audience. It's crazy. People were just all concerned, right? Um, I, you know, a lot of that train wreck was concerned about everybody had to switch all at the same time. Right. And so uh, what we're saying uh, on behalf of Weedy is that if we could just have health plans support two versions would ease that short term pain, you know, you know, that people could still can do the old version and still have the opportunity to submit the new version. Um, It would uh, require some extra maintenance support over time for the health plans. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I believe it's really worth it uh, uh, to make those migrations strong uh, and to be able to ease, uh, you know, the, the pain moving forward. Albeit, uh, I will, I will, uh, and Weedy calls out. We recognize that there's a bit more expense on the health plan side. Right, right. So I, I got two takeaways from what you were saying. From your own personal experience, it sounds like. Um, you know, one of the methods you used is make um, some of the elements which might be in the next version. Uh, optional or or mod, you know, plug them on to the version you're using now. So you get to test out some of those options before you make it part of the next version. Is that is that kind of what I'm hearing? It's kind yeah. of like how CAQH core operating rules were voluntary before they were mandated, right? There was yeah. 
Yeah. And also because it provides the ability to fall back, right? I mean, gosh, if, what if something's wrong, but I got to get my claims through to the health plan, you know, to be able to fall back and still be able to send, a, you know, an older version through uh, while the other part's being remedied. Um, it allows the business flows, you know, to keep on going. Gotcha, gotcha. And your second one was uh, in terms of your recommendation to Weedy, which it sounds like the other panelists agreed with, is um, allow for a transitional period where at least the health plans who might be at the center of all these transactions would work with both the, the, the current and the next or the previous and the next. Is that, is that the other one I heard? Yeah, that, that definitely did see, seem to be this, the spirit, not only what we conveyed, but others as well. Good. Very good. So now what are Weedy's thoughts on evaluating whether a standard or version should be moved for, forward and, and actually mandated in a regulation? What, what, kind of, what kind of things should go into that evaluation? Yeah, that was my favorite part of the testimony for Weedy, right? Um, how, how, what kind of ROI does this bring back for the industry? And so uh, we spent a lot of time talking about that, you know, at the, in, in prep, as well as, you know, during the NCVHS hearings. Uh, and something I brought up to my peers uh, while we were formulating our thoughts was uh, I, I distinctly remember the days back in the 4010 implementation a now retired executive from Blue Cross Blue Shield of Arizona, I love the guy, I hope he's still okay, uh, that's back in 2006, proclaimed in a weedy conference room, again, full of people, we have saved absolutely nothing to, to do HIPAA 837 claims and spent so much money on achieving HIPAA compliance. And he, he just, he was so passionate. And he said, uh, he said, we did EDI with claims with an older version. I think it was 3070, I think he said. Um, but he did say uh, that he is enjoying ROI for eligibility and claim status. Although during that time, if you remember, uh, it wasn't used quite so much by providers. So he wished that it was used by, by, by more providers. And, uh, you know, since 2006, uh, we've seen a lot more pickup on, uh, eligibility and a little bit less, but still a lot more pickup on the claim status. I will say this though, for the industry pundits, of course, if we're all the health plans are using the same standard, it makes it so much easier on the providers and submitters of, of those claims and receivers of the remits. So from an industry perspective, I think there's a, certainly a savings to consider uh, compared to, um, you know, maybe for that one specific uh, health plan. But um, Matthew, I wanted to really talk about, um, about ROI. And, you know, it's funny when I read those CMS rules, and by, by the way, I love reading them. I mean, my gosh, you see, opinion, <laughs> you'll see your unique individual comment and, comment, and then you see that CMS opinion. Oh, it's so spicy. It's such a good reading, right? Uh, but typically towards the end of those rules, there's a cost breakdown, uh, how much it's going to cost for a provider to adopt a particular uh, rule, and how much would it cost for a payer. Uh, and speckled throughout the whole rule, and these some 600, 800 pages, I mean, these are huge documents, are the value that they call out, but not really monetized, right? It's more, this should be a benefit for the provider. This will impact the patient. This will, should uh, streamline operations for health plans. You'll see those words, but it's not quantified. And so something we really, uh, we really encourage is to have a true ROI calculator for each stakeholder type that considers not only by type, but also size of organizations. So having variables in there to consider the number of patients and the number of members. And some cases, like standing up a fire server, you know, it's going to be, you know, you're going to have a cost that's pretty, how do I say, fixed? 
whether you're small or large. But when you actually go ahead and you know do some of the extensions of that implementation, it's going to be different kind of costs for the different size organizations. And um, so having a cost calculator with ROI value uh, would be so much so valuable, and it will really give a good feel for those that are looking to approve the rule, whether it's worth it for the industry. Um, but most important is something we also stressed in the, uh, the testimony is the impact of the patient. Um, hmm. it, it, I hope um, our listeners uh, don't hold this against me, but uh, I expressed an opinion uh, that I really like the No Surprises Act. <laughs> People, <laughs> it's rules, right? I mean, it protects patients, right? And, you know, it's you know, no surprise, emergency billing, go to an uh, out-of-network facility because it's closest to take care of yourself. Uh, don't be surprised by out-of-network providers in a facility that you think is in-network. You know, those are great protections. And uh, I'm really hoping uh, moving forward, uh, we'll see other sorts of rules focused on patients, especially with health equity. Um, but that's that's my opinion on uh, get us give us some calculators that show the value. Good, very good, and and I'm I'm especially excited that you're bringing the patient as a party into this uh, because I think so many of the decisions up until now were made between you know the provider, the government, and the payer, uh, and the consumers. Certainly, it's it's the era of the consumer in healthcare, uh, and so bringing them as an entity to be um, you know what's the ROI for them? Uh, then uh, I think that's a great consideration. Yeah, definitely. And so, Ed, but uh, given a calculator, I can see how you might be able to calculate for different entities, uh, depending on the size and whether a provider or payer and the legacy systems or whatever, you can, you can calculate the cost. How do you, how do you calculate, you know, to, to, to the point that your uh, anecdote said, how do you calculate the, the return on investment? I, mean, I, I was one of those writers of, regu- uh, of those regulations. And what we would end up doing is saying, well, we think you know, every, you know, IT person will save 10 minutes a week. And then we calculated that 10 yeah, minutes was yeah. worth 20 bucks or whatever it was, right? We, 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 we did our best, but how, how do you create something that's not being used yet? Uh, create an ROI for that. First of all, I had no idea you wrote rules. We'll have to talk later. <laughs> it's going to be so much to <laughs> want to talk to you. Um, but also, um, you know, I, I think it comes to uh, just simply uh, following some of the software um methodology a lot of us used even 40 years back, right? I mean, take a look at prior authorization. How much time do you waste looking up whether a prior author is required or not? Oh my gosh, I have to pull up a list. You know, I have to go through it. Is it this procedure code? Does it fall in line? I mean, there's decisions, right? What kind of documentation do I need? Oh, I have to pull up this other thing or I have to call somebody. What do you need? And so taking just advantage of the DaVinci use case on prior authorization, um, with the CRD, whether it's required and the DTR would tell you what kind of documentation exchange is needed and exchanging it in real time. Wow. And submitting it, um, you know, submitting the prior off um, in real time and also subscribing to like a channel to listen to status. Right. So as status changes in the PAS, you can actually uh, listen to that as opposed to having to pick up the phone call and calling. So you can actually see different steps in that process I just described that has savings. Now, the bigger savings, and this is something Nancy and I had mentioned uh, to NCBHS testimony, was gosh darn it, if we're gonna select real-time type um, type uh, technology like Fire that's RESTful, based on RESTful APIs, gosh, I, maybe we should have some real-time responses 
at least on a percentage of it. I mean, wouldn't it be really nice that a percentage of those prior authorizations that are pretty standard would be able to return in near real time? Um, now the hard ones, no, right? You know uh, that you know that could be you know going into listening channel with the status. Um, you know, I think the pro, you know eligibility. I think in claim status has been a great example on the EDI side of something that's been great for for real time. Prior auth has has not gone that way, right? Prior auth is still pretty much batch. And we've we've had we actually had a um, years ago we had a, a work group just focused on real time adjudication. And you know, golly, you know, to be able to use whether it's EDI, whether it's Fire or whatever the standard is, it would be awesome when we can eventually migrate to use a standard like that and yeah. have real-time response. And, and real-time is one of those things where it's the 80-20 rule as in everything yeah. in healthcare, right? It seems like 80% of the time uh, this can be automated and, and there's the 20%, but that, should, that shouldn't uh, be an obstacle uh, to some of the ideals we, we create in, in exactly. healthcare IT, right? So, Ed, I'm going to leave you with the last word. Uh, anything else about the NCVHS or uh, standards that you want to uh, address? Oh, well, I was encouraged, uh, first of all, NCVHS uh, is looking at streamlining version adoption. Um, they are looking at making sure there's a benefit to, um, you know, to the industry. You know, so there's a real focus there. Um, they're looking at trying to evolve the technology by allowing for providers to migrate to newer flavors, like going from batch transfer to like an EDI, uh, sorry, uh, real-time type of a transmission. Um, it, it sets us up, up to evolve. And, you know, I was really encouraged that the people who test, testified or gave their thoughts, um, you know, were very supportive. I mean, we really didn't have anybody. In, and, and it was it was also, you know, something you look at it, it you know, X12 can be real time, HL7 could be real time, and CPP is definitely real time. You know, and so it's not necessarily the standard it's about, it's actually the actual protocols underneath it that actually allow for that to facilitate. And um, I'm encouraged that we're moving in the right direction with that, uh, with that spirit. Very good. Very good. And, and uh, if listeners want to find out more information about NCVHS or about Weedy's thoughts on it, uh, can you direct them to... Uh, website or where, where, the, where might they find resources? Well, uh, definitely NCVHS has its own website. And so I encourage them to check it out. There's recordings there. You'll see, I believe, some of the PowerPoint presentations. Um, you know, the best source of all, Matthew, Weedy. You have hey. all kinds of stuff, right? Posted, <laughs> right? And so uh, check out our work groups and the discussions. A great place to learn about success stories, right? A great chance to be able to voice your concerns and hear uh, and establish relationships with others to hear their responses. Payers actually talk to providers and providers actually talk to payers. It, it's, it's pretty cool. And so uh, it's a very quaint environment where people are, you know, have their shields down and we're, we're willing to actually uh, dedicate ourselves to make healthcare better. So that's where I would really go. Great, great. Great environment where people talk to each other. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Thank you. Uh, this has been a great discussion about NCVHS and, and thoughts about uh, standards with Ed Hafner, chair-elect of the Weedy Board and assistant VP of Payer Strategy Medical Network with Change Healthcare. And this has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe.